Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you An awful lot of people who, who profess being the great escape, in a quiet way, are not prepared to escape the wrath of God because what the clear the scripture clearly says about that. You know, have you ever noticed that a lot of the dreams and visions people have gotten, that God has quoted them verses in the midst of these, like A.A. Allen, I know several of the verses in there that were quoted in the midst of his vision. Several of these verses, when you go look them up, they're talking about the wrath of God, the great day of the Lord. You know that God is bringing a flood upon America? God is bringing an early great day of the Lord to America. I'm not talking about the one at the end of the tribulation period. I'm talking about the one at the beginning. America is about to have its great day of the Lord. And there's a great flood coming upon America. And some are going to escape and some are not. But I'd like you to look with me at a few verses, Luke chapter 21, and see who it is that's going to escape. No matter how you consider escape, whether you believe it's the rapture or whether you believe it's just escaping the judgment, you know, there's a lot of people in this earth that's going to be here and they're going to escape judgment. And uh, a lot of people are deceived into thinking they're going to fly away in a rapture and they're not going anywhere. Because there's too much Bible against that. Okay? And the reason I say there's too much Bible against that is because there's a lot of Bible that talks about escaping judgment and what it's going to take to escape judgment. An awful lot about it. The word escape is most often used is, is the word to flee out of. To flee out of. Uh, the term is used about escaping sin. To flee out of sin. But you wouldn't call that a rapture, would you? But you're escaping something that's going to bring the wrath of God if you don't come out of it. So the word escape is used quite quite often. And most generally, he's talking about escaping judgment. Let's read here in Luke 21, verse uh, 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest happily your heart be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come on you suddenly as a snare. And most often the word drunkenness in the Bible is not used physically. It's used metaphorically. Uh, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, or excuse me, Revelation 17 in verse 2, that the, uh, the whole world, world was made drunk with the wine of the harlot's fornication. The whole world was made drunk. Look around at you. You know what? The world is drunk. Not that they're all drinking liquor, but they're drunk. You know what? When they look at religion, they're supposed to see something that is radical. And they look at Christian religion. They're supposed to see something that is a disciple of Christ. They're supposed to see something that looks like these disciples in this book. But instead, they see Christians that are just as drunk on the world as they are. And so, there's no condemnation. There is no conviction in their heart. Because they see people that aren't that much better than they are. And so, this drunkenness that he's talking about, or surfeiting, I don't know what your Bible says, it just means overindulging. 
overindulging in the world, surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And he says, for this reason, that the day, that that day, uh, will come on you suddenly as a snare. We talked about the other day about the wolves going to come as a thief. Well, that's not to some. To some know he's coming, he's not going to sneak up on them. <laughs> They're not in darkness, and that day should overtake them, the Bible says. You know? But to some, that day will overtake them. And uh, they're deceived into seeing other things out there that are false signs. They've been told by the false prophets false signs to look for, and none of their signs are happening. So they don't know that day is fast approaching, very fast. And many people are drunk on the world. They, they are out of touch with reality. That's what a drunk is. He's out of touch with reality. You cannot predict what he's going to do next. And according to the scriptures, you can't do that with these people. We've got to make sure that we're not overindulging in the world and in the cares of this life. God calls that drunkenness. And he says the world is drunk because of the harlot. We studied the harlot. We found out that it was just apostate religion. People haven't seen enough of religion to really convict them to get right with God. And so they're drunk on the world, overindulging in the world. Of course, he's exhorting the Christians here not to be carried away by the same excess, right? For so shall it come upon all them, verse 35, that dwell on the face of the earth. That day is going to come upon everybody on the face of the earth. But watch ye at every season, making supplication, that ye may prevail to escape all these things. If you want to know what all these things are, go back and read chapter 21. He says somebody's going to escape all these things. And you come that comes that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. They're going to escape all these things. We talked about what it was to stand before the Son of Man, like the first group on Mount Zion. Okay. Now he said the people are going to prevail to escape all these things. According to most Christians, if you're just a Christian and you accept Jesus as your Savior, just you're just an automatic Jew and you're going to miss it. You know? No, he says that we're to watch and to pray. That we prevail to escape all these things. You know, if you go back a little further in um, chapter 20 and verse 34, Jesus said that we had to be accounted worthy to attain unto that world and the resurrection from the dead. Accounted worthy. Now we've been told that there's no way you can ever be accounted worthy. That's contrary to scripture. Paul exhorted us in the Ephesians chapter 4 to be counted worthy. Ephesians 4 and 1. He says, uh, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthily of the calling wherewith you were called, with all lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, giving diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you were called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, Apostle Paul beseeches us to walk worthily of Paul. He's surprised to make places in the Bible where it talks about to walk worthily. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12 talks about walking worthily. We as Christians, we have the power to walk worthily. Some people act as though we don't have the power to walk worthily. We have the power. Every believer has the power to turn away from sin and to walk worthily. Have the power. We walk under the blood of Jesus Christ. We have the power. 
That's what that's what the difference between a believer and a non-believer is. A believer has the power because he believes the promise. Having therefore these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement, flesh, and spirit, respecting holiness and the fear of God. And so we have the power. But we have to prevail to escape this power. We have to watch and pray to prevail to escape this Let me point out a few more verses to you. In Genesis 19, there is the story of Lot and Sodom in Genesis 19. And uh, it's amazing how merciful that the angels were to Lot, even so much as to lay their hands on him and to give him a little push to get out of the city, you know. Like he was dragging his feet and going too slow. God was really merciful to him. Like I believe he's going to be merciful to some folks in the coming judgment on America. Read verse 17, it says, And it came to pass, and when they brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape with our life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy loving kindness, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. I cannot escape from the mountain lest evil overtake me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee to, and it is a little one. Is it not a little one? Oh, let me escape hither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, and I will not overthrow the city of which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape hither, for I cannot do anything until thou come hither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, which means little. And, uh, you know, the mountain and the city symbolize the same thing. The city of Zion was the city that escaped the wrath of God. And uh, the mountain, belief to the mountain is what Jesus advised his disciples in the day that he prophesied judgment in Matthew 24. Coming upon Israel, he's told to flee to the mountain. And they saw that Israel was encompassed about with arms to lead to the mountain. It means the same thing. The high places in God. Zion, the high place in God. But he made one exhortation. Don't look back. And of course, as you read on, verse 26, his wife looked back. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. She did not escape the judgment. He said, get out of the plane, or you won't escape the judgment. And he said, don't look back, or you won't escape the judgment. In other words, we've got to get to the high places of God. We've got opportunity to do that. We have the power to do that. By God's grace, we have the power to do that. We don't have to live a low life claiming Christianity. God exhorts us. I know he's exhorted many people here, you know, with dreams and visions and things. He expects us to move on those things. He wants us to move on those things. Those are not idle warnings that God gives us. Uh, There was obviously something that that Lot's wife had a desire for back inside. Had a lust for or had a care for back inside. It caused her to turn around and look back. I don't know what it was, but we need to get our eyes off the Sodom. You know that, don't we? Get our eyes off the world. People who have their eyes on the world, they're obviously going to be destroyed. I mean, you can see it from this little parable that we can see here. People who have their eyes on the world, on the love of the world, they're not going to escape. And they are living the low life because God provided for us to live on a much higher plane. He provided, for, in fact, that has nothing to do with materialism and the higher plane that God has provided for us. The example that God left us through Jesus and the disciples, they had no care for materialism. They had no hook in them. 
the world, the things of the world, the distractions of the world, they didn't know that they had lost their care for all those things. They had an interest in God. So that's to say, it's going to take some judgment because a lot of people turn loose in this world, the things of the world, the care of the world. Run after God. Run after God. Forget about those things. Forget about the vanity of this world. Run after the Lord. The little city that escaped is, is of course, uh, Zion. A good example is in Second Kings, chapter 19, again chapter 19, in verse uh, 30, and it says, And the remnant that has escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. See, the people that escaped this judgment that's coming on America, and I've explained to you already how that these people that escaped here in verse 31 and 32, they escaped because they were in Zion, and it was the only city that escaped. After after the Syrian king had conquered all of Judah, all of the northern ten tribes, he came to Jerusalem. He couldn't conquer. He lost 185,000 people. He couldn't conquer. That's been my ministry, to help people get in Zion, make sure they're abiding in the secret place of the Most High to escape this judgment. So in Mount Zion... They that shall escape. The zeal of the Lord shall perform this. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come unto this city, nor shoot an arrow there. Neither shall he come before it with shield, nor cast up a mound against it. By the way which he came, by the same shall he return. He shall not come unto this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake. So, what we got to do is make sure we're in Zion, right? Or does the Bible have a lot to say about that? I tell you, from Psalm 15, Psalm 24, Psalm 91, all of them are talking about living in Zion, the place of safety. Let me just look at one of them, Psalm 125. Psalm 125, and it says, They that trust in the Lord are Mount Zion, or as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abideth well. Trust in the Lord. This is the most important thing about Christianity. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, right? The most important thing that identifies those that live in Zion is they trust in the Lord. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people. This time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. Isn't that a good promise? scepter of wickedness will not rest upon the lot of the righteous. But I'll tell you what, it'll rest on you just as so long as you walk in unrighteousness, it'll rest on you long. Have you ever walked in unrighteousness and found the scepter of the wicked fall on you? It does, and that's God's work, isn't it? Why? Because he wants to drive you to Zion, right? He says, uh, the scepter of righteousness shall not rest on the lot of the righteous, that the righteous put not forth their hands into iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that are good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. But as for such as turn aside under their crooked ways, the Lord will lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. So, the Christians who turn aside under their wicked ways, they're not going to escape judgment because they're not in Zion. See that? Zion at Micah 4 and 6. Let's read that. Look for Micah 4. I'm just going to quote it because there's more there than I can quote. And it's really good, too. <laughs> Micah chapter 4. Let's start in verse 6. In this text, God calls Zion the tower of the flock. Look what he says. In that day, says the Lord, will I assemble that which is lame 
and I will gather that which is driven away, and that which I have afflicted. And I will, it sounds like David's crew out in the wilderness uh, said the same things about his people out in the wilderness. People that fled Jerusalem, you know, uh, old apostate Jerusalem that was being ruled by Saul, and went out there to David in the wilderness, said some of the same things about them. He says, I will make that which was lame a remnant, and that which was cast off a strong nation. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the people who are lame to the traditional religious folk. You know that? The people who are cast off. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about people that are cast off by the traditional religious folk. They are separated from them because of what they believe. Because they don't believe the traditions of them. You ever feel cast off by religious folks? Well, that's what he's talking about here. For them, they're lame, and they're cast off. But he said he was going to, the Lord said he was going to make up a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion. So now you know who's in Mount Zion. <laughs> the ones that are in Mount Zion are not the acceptable folks. They're not the traditional folks. They're not the many who have gone astray. Verse 8. And thou, O tower of the flock, the hill of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Yea, the former dominion shall come. The kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. The former dominion shall come. You know what? The people that live in Zion, they're going to have dominion over the work of God's hand. They're going to see the mighty miracles of God in the days that are coming. They're going to be protected. That's why it's called the tower of the flock. The tower was protected. That's why they built towers to escape invading armies. And the people in the tower were protected. But that, that's not all. They got the dominion. You know that Zion was where the dominion was over all God's people. Zion was given that dominion. And there's going to be dominion. Dominion over the flesh. Dominion over the devil. Dominion over the work of God's hand. Now why dost thou cry out loud, Is there no king in thee? Thy counselor perished? that pangs have taken hold upon thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor and bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city and shalt dwell in the field and shalt come even unto Babylon. Notice, watch carefully. This is where God's people have been. These people that are going to inhabit Zion, look where they've been. They've been to Babylon. There shalt thou be rescued. God is rescuing right now people from Babylon. About to bring them to Zion. Okay? There will the Lord redeem thee from the hand of thine enemy. God, God sees Babylon or apostate religion as an enemy. Okay? And now, many nations are assembled against thee. Now, this is the time we're coming to. Okay? They say, let her be defiled. And let our eyes see our desire upon Zion. For they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel. For he hath gathered them as the sheaves to the threshing floor. See that? There's a great army that's come against God's people, and the devil has a thought. He has a thought that he's going to destroy God's people. He's always had that thought. He tried to kill Jesus back on the slaughter of the babies, you know. And then he, he has... Uh, tried to wipe out the Jews so that they wouldn't have a remnant. He has tried to, uh, uh, he is bringing a mighty army against this land, but they don't know the thoughts of the Lord. And sometimes Christians don't know the thoughts of the Lord either. The Lord has good thoughts 
concerning his people and concerning Zion. This thing is going to look terrible in the flesh of the eye, but it's going to be wonderful for the kingdom of heaven and for those who have a desire towards God. He says, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thy horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many peoples, and I will devote their gain unto the Lord, and their substance unto the whole earth. And by the way, it goes on in chapter 5 to talk about the return of the Jews. So he thought about something's going to happen before you. You know what? God's people are going to have great authority in the days of the coming. Great authority. Uh, the people in Zion are going to be protected. They're going to be in the tower. They're going to have great authority. People, the carnal eye doesn't, doesn't uh, see the way God sees. The way God sees, he's about to do a wonderful thing. He's about to give anointing and power to his people. Like the man that y'all, some of y'all watched last night, he talked about the great miracle that was going to happen. I believe that. I believe that. The Lord's been showing me that. Great miracle. Great deliverance. Miracles like uh, rarely seen. Well, let me show you another verse about the escape. It's in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse, let's start in verse 22. Hebrews 12 and 22. But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem is on the earth. And we have come to it. And to the innumerable hosts of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. To God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood, the sprinkling that speaketh better than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escaped not when they refused him that warns them on earth, much more shall not we escape and turn away from him that warneth from heaven. See, God warns us. He warns us in our spirit, warns us in dreams, warns us with the word. The people are not going to escape who don't take God's warning. You know, you can get so used to God's warning, used to ignoring it, that, that it just gets so common to you that you don't move. And God says, move. Everything that God tells us, he sees what we need. Everything he tells us, that we are persistent and patient and be obedient to what he shows us is wrong, he will be, he'll show us something else. He'll just keep us in this sanctification mode until the time which, when judgment comes. But when that judgment comes, we'll be prepared to escape it. But he says here that those who don't take his warning won't escape. Verse 26. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more will I make to tremble not the earth only, but also the heaven. This word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that have been made, that those things which are not shaken may remain. Wherefore, receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us have grace, whereby we may offer service well-pleasing to God with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Yes, and anything that that fire can burn, we want it to burn now. <laughs> Let it burn. Let it burn. So, God's going to shake what can be shaken, and what can be shaken is the things that are made. See, God's building a temple that's not made with hands. It's not made by man. It's not made with hands. And the things that are man-made, whether in our religion or in our life, they have to pass away. What we're receiving when we receive Zion, 
when we receive the Lord. Is the king of the kids of Jacob? It's just about all the other things in there that are so important to us, you know. Getting all Those things have to be shaken. The wood, hay, and the stubble has to be burned up. But the, uh, the safety, the safest place to be in the Lord is to have your wood, hay, and stubble burned up. We go through trials, the fiery trial, which comes upon you to prove you. We go through these trials in order to make a right decision in the midst of the trial so that the wood ain't stubble burns up. We shouldn't be wasting any time, folks. When God sends our way, He sends for a purpose. Because He wants to shape the things that are made so that the things that are not made will remain. And trials that God sends our way, and He is sovereign over every trial. Won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you have. He has perfect control over the trial. And he says, give thanks always for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we have to give thanks to God for every trial, because he's in control of every trial. And these trials are little shakings that we're going through. If you listen to God in the little shakings, and you humble yourself to God in the little shakings, when the big shaking comes, it won't, it won't be so much. You know? When the big shaking comes, believe me, there's a lot of folks who are going to look back. We don't need to look back at a time like that. Go look at uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that were heard, lest happily we drift away from them. You know what? I tell you the truth, too. When you hear them, you got to move. Because if you don't, the further you get away from what God shows you, or what gives you in grief, or what he shows you in the word, or whatever he convicts you about, the further you get away from it, the easier it is not to do it. So you just not have to move when God says move, or else you, you lose the conviction, and your spirit's hardened, conscience is hardened. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience receives a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which having at first been spoken through the Lord was confirmed unto us by them that heard? So how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We've got a salvation to look at. You know, if you if you don't understand what he's talking about, you can just look at salvation in other parts of Hebrews. What I'm talking about is in Hebrews seven and twenty-five. He says, "Wherefore also he is able to save to the uttermost, or completely." That's the verb, right? Salvation. He's able to save to the uttermost, or completely. Them that draw near unto God through him, seeing who ever liveth to make intercession for him. God is able to save completely those who draw near to him. The responsibility here is given to us. We draw near to God. God's able to finish the good work he started. But the condition here is he's only going to do it for those who draw near unto him. Another example. In chapter 5, verse 7. Talking about Jesus now. Okay? Hebrews 5 and 7. Who in the days of his flesh, having offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and having been heard for his godly fear, Jesus cried out to the Father to save him from death. To save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became unto all them that obey him the author of eternal salvation. He became unto all them that obey him the author of eternal 
salvation. Now, we just, we noticed back in Hebrews 7, God's able to complete this salvation. You know, when the Bible talks about bearing fruit, what we're really talking about is walking in more and more of our salvation. That's what bearing fruit is. Walking in more and more of our salvation. That's what bearing fruit is. Coming into his likeness. Bearing fruit. And, uh, he, he is only the author of eternal salvation. Those that obey him. Only those draw near to him. Experience more and more of his salvation. You know, you can, this can be just a mind thing. And it is with a lot of people. They, they love to hear new things about God. They love to hear. They love to hear more things about God and all, especially about the end time and all that. Well, that's not the real reason we came to the Lord. You know, the real reason we came to the Lord is to be like Him. The most important thing in our life should be sanctification. Becoming like the Lord. Not having our mind always in the end time. There's nothing wrong with the end time because it exhorts us that the time is short and that's good. But for some people, they're not doing what they need to do when the time is short. The whole reason that God warns us about the end time is so that we'll do something with what we've got in the short time that we've got left. So I like to I like to study about the end time too. But what's more important than that is to learn how to escape the things that are coming. You know, in, in, in uh, Jude verse 5, the Lord says, I desire to put you in remembrance that the Lord, having saved the people, out of the land of Egypt, later destroyed them that believed not. Once having walked in salvation has nothing to do with whether you're bearing fruit. He saved them out of Egypt, but when they went into the wilderness and they didn't do anything with the trials that God gave them in the wilderness, He destroyed them. That destruction is coming to a lot of the call in the future. The exact same thing. The things that happened unto them were for us, the Bible There was a reason God wanted to bring them through that wilderness. He wanted to try them. He wanted to see if they believed his word. He was going to prove them to see, to prove whether they were believers or not. There are a lot of people that are called Christians today. But God's trials that he sends our way is to prove whether we're believers or not. That's the whole point. There's promises in here for every trial that we come into. Where we can be more than victorious over every trial that we come into. There's promises here. You want to do a trial? Dig out God's word and get your two-edged sword out. So you'll have something to fight the devil with, you know. Get God's word out. Find the promises that concern the trial that you're going through. Use them. They're powerful. Sharpen the two-edged sword. Take the sword of the Spirit, Paul tells us in Ephesians. Take the sword of the Spirit. That's our responsibility. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit. Some people are defenseless for the devil. Because they don't have any sword. Their spirit doesn't have a sword. Take the sword of the Spirit. Get in the Word. Dig in the Word. Be full of the Word. First Corinthians 15, this is probably the easiest day for people to be distracted. So many things, especially in America, are distracted. And there's so much corruption and so much sin around us that it's easy to get caught up in the turmoil once you've got your mind full of the Word. Now, I make known unto you, brethren, the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you received, and wherein also you stand, and by which also you are being saved, literally, it says. If you hold fast the word which I preached unto you, except you believed in vain. So we're being saved if we're holding fast to the word. It doesn't matter what kind of trial you're in, if you hold fast to the word, you're being saved. But if you're not, you're believing in vain. Your belief has been in vain. The belief that you've had in the past has been in vain. It's only those that endure to the end, Jesus said, 
shall be saved. First Corinthians 15, uh, 1 and 2. It's those that endure to the end that will be saved. Remember what saved is. Saved is living in Zion. Saved is being where you can't be moved by the things around you. Saved is, is Christ in you. Look at uh, Romans chapter 2. Now, I had somebody tell me so much problems the other day. And it amazed me because I sat there and listened. It just described himself. <laughs> just totally, perfectly, you know. He couldn't have done a better job, you know, I thought. You know what? you got to be careful when you're... Because the easiest thing for you to see in somebody else is your own problem. You know what? The Jews, look at uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, Mercy glory is against judgment. With merciful thou wilt show thyself mercy. The Bible also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you got in this to avenge disobedience when your obedience is made full. The Lord really don't want us judging and being critical of other people until we overcome that same error ourselves. And he says here, Wherefore thou art without excuse, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. Wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. Thou that judges dost practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against them that practice such things. And reckonest thou this, O man, who judges them that practice such things, and doest the same, thou shalt escape the judgment of God? No, a person who, who is in sin and judging other people for it, you may be, you may be in, in one area wrong and judging another person in another area, you know, but still, the Lord wants us to spend our time and getting the big Lord out of our eyes. You know, that's the important thing. People who are caught up in looking at other people too much, they forget themselves. They forget the reason they're here. Verse 4. For despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance? In other words, it's God's grace that we're all sitting here. In. Mercy, mercy of God we're sitting here. If you get delivered from other people's blindness, that's the mercy of God. That's how you got to look at it. You look at them and say, look how blind they are. You go to judging them. Tell you what, God is going to look with favor on that. You have to see what's wrong with what they do and what they see. But you've got to do it with mercy for them. you got to pray for them. you got to ask for mercy from God for them. Because it was just the goodness of God that led you to repentance. The Bible says God grants repentance. He grants, it's a gift from God to repent. And, and we're not, uh, we're not careful. God will take that gift back. Verse 5. After thy hardness and impenitent heart, Treasures up to thyself wrath in the day of wrath, and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his work. So, some people are crazy. He's talking about religious folks. He's talking to religious folks. He's talking to Christians. And uh, he's saying some Christians are treasuring up wrath in the day of wrath. They're treasuring it up because of their, what I see here is criticalness towards others and judgment of others. Not taking the time to get the board out of their own eyes. He says to them that by patience in well doing seek for glory and honor and incorruption eternal life. Glory and honor and incorruption eternal life. That's what we ought to be seeking out. That's what he says. Be patient in well doing seek for glory and honor and incorruption. They're going to have eternal life. But unto them that are factious, and obey not the truth, and there's a divisive, 
of action. But obey unrighteousness shall be wrath and indignation unto them that are factious and obey not the truth, but obey unrighteousness shall be wrath and indignation. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that will be tribulation and anguish. You know what one of the definitions of uh, faction is? It's denominationalism. You know that? It's separation. It's, uh, it's judgment towards other people. It's a fine line to know what's wrong because if you study the words, you can't help but see what's wrong. If you're humble to the words, you can't help but see what's wrong. But there's a fine line that God doesn't want you to step over and that is in judging that poor person other than praying for them and believing for them and hoping for them. And, uh, that's what the Lord wants to see other people. Because when we're proud, God's got to judge What we got, we don't have anything. The Bible says, and Paul said one time, what do you have that you didn't receive? Everything we got, we received it by the grace of God. We could have done it for our neighbor. Yeah. Not even it does at all. Yeah. And been justified in doing it. Yeah. We get, when God gives us understanding, and he starts opening our eyes, there's no reason to judge anybody else. Uh, you know the people that are going to be judged? Everybody's responsible to seek out the truth. The people that don't, they're going to be judged. The people that teach them are going to be judged. To the extent we're not walking in the truth, and not seeking the truth, we're going to be judged. We're going to have mercy upon others, and we're going to pray for God, and be a vessel of God, and be a, a prayer warrior for others, and pray for others to come, and get their eyes open. Pray for them to have dreams about these things. You know. God will look on us with mercy. He'll have mercy on us. He'll show us more. He'll give us more. But if we're proud and factious, looking down on other folks, we're just treasuring up judgment. Because God resists the proud and gives grace to him. I'll tell you what, for what you see in God, you ought to thank God every day. Rejoice. God's given it to you. And pray for others to have it too. And be merciful with them. There's a lot of people that don't see so good. And maybe, if you if you have that kind of a heart, he'll use you to open other people's eyes. You know? But I know this, if you're critical towards other people because of what they don't see or because of what they're not doing, uh, God can't use you. He doesn't have a vessel there that he can flow his grace to. Be careful, because he says, these people are not going to escape the wrath of God. Look at that, Revelation. Chapter 3, verse 10. And the Lord says, Because thou didst keep the word of my patience, or steadfastness, I like steadfastness even better. I don't know if the bottom says steadfast. Anybody got a word there? Perseverance or anything like that? Patience? Okay. Well, because you did keep the word of my patience, or perseverance, or steadfastness, I also will keep thee from the hour of trial, that hour which is to come upon the whole world. Try them that dwell upon the earth. Well, you know, some people say, well, it's because they're dwelling on the earth and you know, these people are all flying away. But you know what? The Bible says we dwell in the heavens. We're seated with Christ in the heavens. The Bible also says that there's going to be a great falling away and the stars of the heavens are going to be cast down to the earth like a fig tree casts for unripe figs. Right? So it's not so much where you're physically standing as where you're spiritually standing that he's talking about. Some people are seated with Christ in the heavens because that's where they're living. You know, some people are walking upon the earth because that's where they're living. And uh, we're this particular time seated with Christ in the heavens. We're going to escape the hour of trial. Which is what he's saying. 
Thou come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast, that no one take thy crown. It's obvious that there's going to be some people going to lose their crown to other folks. Because they weren't steadfast. They weren't patient. He that overcometh, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out thence no more. And I will write upon him the name of my God. Think about this now. The one that overcomes, he's going to be a pillar. A pillar is pretty stable, right? It's not something that comes and goes, right? Problem, many times our problem is because we come and go in the temple of God. You know? Sometimes we're in and sometimes we're out. Kind of like what we read over there in Hebrews 12. Receive a kingdom that can't be shaken. What's that? Zion. Live on the Mount Zion with the Lord. You know? Well, to be an overcomer is to not be in and out, but to be stable and to be a, a pillar in the temple. And to have the name of God, the name of the city of God, the New Jerusalem, uh, written on. The name is the nature. Right? Let me point out uh, another verse uh, in Isaiah chapter 65. Sixty-five and verse eleven. You know what the Lord? Remember, Brother Bolivar. He told me one time that he'd ask the Lord. He said, "Lord, what are you going to do with the carnal Christians?" And the Lord gave him this verse right here. He's talking about the, the time of judgment. What you going to do with carnal Christians? You know what carnal means? Carna means fleshly. It means they're, they're Christians in name, but they're living after the flesh. Verse eleven says, "But he that forsake the Lord." that forget my holy mountain, and that prepare a table for fortune, and that fill up mingled wine and destiny, or many or gain. For destiny there is many, gain. I will destiny you to the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter. Because when I call, you did not answer. And when I spake, you did not hear. But you did that which was evil in mine eyes, and chose that wherein I delighted not. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. You see, when the sword comes, who's going to be eating and who's going to be hungry? Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart. You shall cry for sorrow of heart, and shall wail for vexation of spirit. You shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen, and the Lord will slay thee, and he will call his servants by another name. You know, that's going to be true anyway. The Bible says that revelation. You to do that. Because the Bible says they've polluted his name. It's become a thing in the earth of disgust. Verse 16, so that he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. He that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. His former troubles are forgotten, because they are hid. Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. Former things shall not be remembered. So, he says the people who are going to forget his name, they're the ones that are going to be taken by the soul. They're the ones that are in the tribulation that are not going to have their needs met. That's true right now. There's a lot of God's people that don't get their needs met. They're going through tribulation. And the reason is they forget the Lord. They don't bless themselves in the God of truth. Because the error may seem 
to be more satisfying, but it's more satisfying to the flesh. Not the spiritual man. It doesn't cause your spirit man to grow. To, to be deceived into thinking that everybody's going to fly away, that may seem to be more profitable. But it really, it's uh, mingled wine. It's uh, it's preparing a table for fortune. You're looking for the prospering of the flesh, not the prospering of the spirit. You know, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of, there's an awful lot of Christians in the time that are coming. You know, I don't think we will gloss over this. They're going to have to give their life to be in the kingdom of heaven. They're going to have to do it. They're going to have to give their life. But it don't have to be that way. Right now is a time where we need to be getting prepared, walking with the Lord, using up the time that God's given us to seek the truth, seek His kingdom, be obedient, not forsake the Lord, not forget God's holy mouth. God promises for us. We'll be fed, we'll have drink, we'll have our needs met. We'll be rejoicing while those that have forgotten the Lord won't. <laughs> no, it's a joy to serve the Lord. Yeah, it's a joy to uh, see God do miracles for you because you believe the truth. Yeah. Paul says, come forth, Revelation 18 and 4, you know, come forth out of her, my people, that you receive not of her plagues. You have no fellowship with her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. Her sins reach you unto heaven. God has remembered her iniquities. Render unto her even as as she rendered, and double unto her according to her works. And the cup which she mingled, mingled unto her double. How much soever she glorified herself, and waxed warm, or luxurious, so much give her a torment and mourn. You see, the people that are living in these days please their flesh with religion, and they got mixed wine, not the wine of Jesus, but they've got mixed wine. And uh, they're preparing a table for fortune. The Bible says, in the days that are coming, those people are going to receive just as much torture as they live luxurious in their former life. So things are going to be turned around. Like Jesus told us about uh, Lazarus and the rich man. You know, things are going to be flip-flopped. saw how valuable it was to him, huh? Even though he desired righteousness, these things were valuable. More valuable than Christ to him. Um, look, read this Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. That's good. Malachi 3 and 16. That was Revelation 18, 4, 5, 6. Well, that was Isaiah 65. Some people get weary and well-doing. They don't see the prophet in obeying the Lord. Let's go back to verse uh, 13. As your words have been stout against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have you spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. Sometimes you don't even say that, but you act that way. You know? Sometimes people act that way. And what prophet is it to, that we have kept his charge and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? Now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are built up. Yea, they tempt God and escape. Well, you tempt to look at that now, aren't you? You see people that are doing so fine and wonderful, and they seem to be uh, blessed in all the things of the world, and they seem to be escaping the wrath of God. But as you, we just read a few minutes ago, God treasures up wrath, the day of wrath. And at the same time, the only reason that day of wrath hasn't come yet is because 
God is long-suffering to you, not wishing that any should uh, perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is being long-suffering, but he's treasuring up wrath at the same time. In other words, there's going to come a day when the wrath is going to be poured out. Verse 16, Then they that feared the Lord spake one with another, and the Lord hearkened and heard, and a book of remembrance was written before him. Them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, even mine own possession, in the day that I make And I will spare them. The man spares his own son that serves him. God's going to spare the people who fear the Lord. How can you prove that you fear the Lord? The only way we can prove that we fear the Lord is when he speaks, we move. Right? We're obedient. That's the only way you can prove it. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serveth him not. He's talking about, still talking to God's people. Some people are going to see God's wrath poured out, but they're going to see God's deliverance upon those who appear to him. People are going to make a clear distinction then. Right now, you can look around you and you can see like, sometimes you can see the wicked that seem to prosper just as good as Christians. I like good Christians. Sometimes they're living on the high places of the earth, it looks like, you know. But I'll tell you what, there's a day coming, you're going to see a clear distinction between the ones that fear God and the ones that don't. Even among Christians, you're going to see a clear distinction. Guess what? I mean, things that are coming, God's got a short time left to bring forth fruit in His children. We go through a lot of little trials continuously in order to bring us to the place of sanctification. Guess what? When time's running out, well, we've got to be getting bigger to get to the same place. We've got to get harder to get to the same place. But when people have been redeeming the time, which he also talks about here in Malachi, when people have been redeeming the time and they have feared the Lord, they don't need that. And they're going to escape. And that's what he's talking about here. And the people who have been lackadaisical and not faithful in their walk with the Lord, not fearing the Lord, not listening to his word, they're going, to, they're going to feel the brunt of this and they're going to see some people escaping because they've been faithful and fear the Lord. For behold, the day cometh that burneth as a furnace and all the proud and all that work wickedness shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in its wings. You shall go forth and gamble as the calves of the stall. You shall tread down wicked. They shall be ashes on the soles of your feet in the day that I make, says the Lord of hosts. Well, he said he was going to spare his son, but it don't seem like his son has left the earth, does it? I mean, obviously he's going through these things, but he's being used by God and joyous through the midst of this thing, escaping tribulation, through the midst of this thing. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, all Israel, even the statutes and ordinances. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with the curse. You know what? I felt like the Lord showed me there's something a little bit deeper here. Family relationship. You know the fathers? They're the ones that wrote this book. The fathers. And uh, God wants to bring things back 
the kind of relationship you have with these people. You know? It's like, and as the children, our hearts got to be like their heart, you know. And if it's not, what's the point? Why would anybody escape the curse? Paul said for us to follow his example. For us to be imitators of him. He imitated the Lord. You know, told quite a few times to imitate the Lord. Even in his death, he imitated the Spiritual death, you know, to be imitators of the Lord. Imitators of his suffering. And I think that's what he's talking about here, really. Turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. The Apostle Paul said, you have not many fathers. I begat you through the gospel. The Apostle Paul is one of our fathers. You know. And the other teachers, you know, Peter, Jesus, okay, they're our fathers. Or examples in our fathers. Anybody got a question about what we're talking about, about escaping judgment, escaping wrath? Well, what I think is that God's church is coming to maturity. That the people who were faithful to the Lord in the dark ages, let's say, had nothing like the doctrine, the teaching, and even in some cases the grace been given today, even according to the Apostle Paul. Because uh, the Apostle Paul said in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter one, he said that uh, he says, uh, "To you that are afflicted, rest with us at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven, with the angels of His power and flaming fire, rendering vengeance to them that know not God and to them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus, who shall suffer punishment." even eternal destruction in the face of the Lord and in the glory of his might, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints, and be marveled at in all them that believe, because our testimony unto you is believed in that day. And uh, what I see is this is the day he's talking about. He says it was the day when the Lord comes in flaming fire to render vengeance. This is the day when Jesus is going to be matured in a people. If you would study the doctrine of the people who lived in the dark ages, much had been taken away from them. A whole lot had been taken away from them. Uh, they were coming back as they came out of the dark ages. People were coming back to the gospel. They'd been coming back to the gospel, to the truths that are in this word. And God's been opening more and more truth to people. And the more truth you walk in, the more you're able to walk free, you know. I think that a lot of people gave their lives back there, and I believe a lot of people are going to give their lives in the future. I'm not denying that. What I am saying is that if you're mature, if you're walking maturely with the Lord, there is less reason for you to suffer. Suffering is to bring maturity. Suffering is to bring righteousness. And even in this chapter, he says, so that you, we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions which you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God to the end that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? The suffering that they went through was a token of the judgment of God so that they would be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Well, suppose God brings you to that state before the time of suffering, which you're going to do something. They went through suffering in order to be counted worthy. In order, in order for wood, hay, and stubble to be burned up. Suppose you come to that maturity that he's talking about here, and then the wrath comes. See, in these days, a kind of maturity of, that, that never even happened in the days of the Dark Ages 
When you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, these three people who gave their lives to the Lord. And uh, they were blessed of God. In these days, it's going to be the same way. But I'm saying that there's some people who are going through tribulation now. And when that time comes, I'm not saying they won't go through tribulation physically. I'm just saying they've been through it spiritually and they've overcome. And there's no reason for them to go through more fire. You know what they, what it says in Exodus 23 about the first fruits? It says, to bring them into the house of God. Thou shalt not boil a kid in his mother's milk. What, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you what I get the feeling. That, uh, when they're first, when they're born fruit, there's no need for them to go through any more persecution and trouble. They're going to escape. The reason they're going to escape is for all the reasons we just got through talking about. They're going to escape. Uh, my service, remember we talked about in Isaiah 6, but my service, those that fear my name, I'm going to spare them. And they're going to tread down the wicked. See that? But those that have not been redeeming the time for the Lord, God's gonna to have to make up the lost time. And you gotta, you gotta die, you have to die to enter into life. The Bible says so. If you haven't died spiritually, you're gonna to have to die physically. You're gonna to have to die to enter into life. That's what I see. You have to lose your life to gain your life. And if you won't lose it spiritually by giving up self, then you're gonna to have to lose it physically. And there's a decision that you make right there, because some people, not even going to give up their life, even then. So there's a decision to be made right there. Some people are going to be called upon by the Lord to give up their life for their faith. And they'll enter the kingdom because they do do it. Yeah. And you know what he said? That I believe that the Lord has kept me as an apostle last of all. As the off-scouring of the earth. He went through grave tribulation, Paul did. He went through it to come to maturity, and he went through it to be an example. He went through it to be a great vessel of God's truth. He went through all of that. And he thought, in his thinking, that the Lord had uh, kept him last of all. Because it seemed like the Christians around him, they were going through peace. He was going through something. But Paul escaped the judgment of God's wrath in 70 AD with Jesus' prophesied. The coming of the beast. Destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem. He escaped all that. The people of Paul, they escaped it too. What I'm saying is, the Bible talks a lot about escaping, and it's not always a flying away type escape. Uh, that escape is coming after the tribulation. But right now, the closer we can get to God and walk with God and overcome and be obedient to God and humble ourselves to Him now, the more we're going to escape later. The more we can put uh, the action in our life is principles is worth the more we're going to take later. Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise I still believe Mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you.